So I just got back from uh, a week of vacation, and for some reason, I, th- I guess I got in yesterday at 1.30 in the morning, so uh, I don't think I, my brain has fully recovered yet. I feel a little foggy, so, and, and on top of that, I'm stepping away from my notes, so, um, which I was afraid I was going to be having to be all too uh, tied to this morning. But uh, I think it was the song that we just sung that just prompted me to just trust the Holy Spirit here for a moment, um, because that's what we're talking about this morning. Um, you know, I, my, my church experience growing up, uh, we didn't talk much about the Holy Spirit. Didn't, there wasn't much mentioned it, you know, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but there wasn't a whole lot of conversation around or even expectation or anticipation around who the Holy Spirit is and what His role was. So um, we've been the last two weeks and today focusing on what's very basic to our faith, uh, our understanding of God. And maybe a place to begin this morning might be like, does it matter what we believe? Does it matter what we believe about God, this person that we refer to as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Is it, is it a relevant concern, uh, an important issue in a postmodern, scientific, technologically advanced age? Does it matter? Yes, it does, of course. I'm, I, that's, I wouldn't be here this morning if it, if it didn't matter. I would argue that it is extremely relevant. It's extremely important. If God made us in His image, and if God made us to be in relationship with Him and with each other, then our understanding of God, our knowledge of God is extremely important. And I don't mean just this knowledge. I mean also the knowledge that, that we gain experientially by knowing God. Okay? For example, if God, is, if God is just and holy, and He's made all people in His image, will, this, is what, this is what I'm trying to get at, is our knowledge of God is going to shape who we are and who we're becoming, yes? We, we live out of what we believe. Whether you realize it or not, we live out of what we believe. And so it's vitally important to know and believe rightly, I suppose, saying it that way. So if God is just and holy, and he's made all people in his image, then if that's going to, that, then that must shape how we treat and care for other people, fellow human beings. It may even mean an end to violence and war and bloodshed and, and, and bigotry and hatred and racism. If God, if God is the creator of heaven and earth, then it must mean that we are people who are charged to care for this planet and to, um, and to care for God's creatures. If God is the source of all love and wisdom, then it must mean that, then that must shape who we are and who we are becoming. That somehow increasingly we are reflecting God's character to the world, that we are light to the world, hope to the world of a better way, a different way, a way of hope, a way of love. If God loved this world so deeply that he sent his son Jesus into the world to be our savior, to forgive, to bring healing, to bring hope, it must compel us then to be God's witnesses, his ambassadors in the world, sharing this finding ways to share this good news with others. So my argument is that, yes, does it matter what we believe? Oh, it's incredibly important what we believe about who God is. And, and this morning, you know, as we're talking about the Holy Spirit, it's easy, I think, um, 
because we're relational beings, it's easy for us to think in terms of God as Father or Son. But when you talk about the Holy Spirit, that's a little more difficult to comprehend, isn't it? Especially when we used to use the word Holy Ghost. What are we, Ghostbusters here? We are when we try to contain God. So uh, to understand God as spirit is a bit more difficult, that aspect of God. But that's what we're going to attempt to do this morning. And, and yet, um, the, the Holy Spirit is um, fully God. And yet, he's probably, you could say, he's the anonymous person of the Trinity. The one that we seem to know the least about. Shrouded in ignorance and mystery. Even in the Apostles' Creed, uh, the Holy Spirit only gets a brief mention at the beginning of the third article. Uh, we believe in the Holy Spirit. Along, and it's lumped, in, lumped together with all the other things that we believe in. The Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Could we not have found something more to say about the Holy Spirit than that we simply believe in Him? When I was in college, it seemed that many churches and denominations were dealing in some way with the charismatic movement, which was a, a movement that was focused very much on the Holy Spirit and His work. It affected Catholics, the Covenanters, and everybody in between. It divided Christians and split churches. One of the great debates uh, was the whole matter of speaking in tongues. And some argued that if you were truly a Christian, truly saved, truly spirit-filled, then you would have the ability to speak in tongues. The argument inferred that there were really two classes of Christians, those who had the Spirit and those who had not yet received the Spirit, or what some called the second baptism. All of it was very divisive, but it was nothing new. And the church has often delineated Christians into two different classes or more, the circumcised and the uncircumcised, Catholics versus Protestants, Lutherans versus Pietists, mainline versus evangelical, liberals versus conservatives, the spirit-filled and tongue-speaking believers versus those who had not yet received or experienced the Holy Spirit. How grieved the Holy Spirit must be over all of this divisiveness because one of his roles is to unite us, to bring us together. It is the Holy, Christian Church, it is the Holy Spirit who calls, gathers, and enlightens the whole Christian church on earth. And who creates unity, not uniformity, but unity in the midst of diversity. We say that we believe in the Holy Spirit, but who or what is the Holy Spirit? You know, the first mention of the Spirit is in the first two verses of Genesis. Bereshith bara Elohim eith hashemayim ve'eith ha'aretz. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and empty Hebrew word, tohu vavohu. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit, the Ruach of God, was hovering over the waters. Here the Spirit of God was moving over the waters of creation, calling forth life. Spirit and breath or wind are the same words in Hebrew. The word is ruach. Think of what a breath is. It is seemingly invisible and yet vital to life, isn't it? In the very next chapter, we learn that man was just a lump of clay fashioned by God's own hands until the Spirit breathed the breath of life into us. And breathing as well a Spirit into us, Ruach. It is life-giving. 
You know, the major metaphors of, of the Holy Spirit in, in Scripture are always, listen, almost always, I'm going to say almost always. I can only think of one, one exception. Almost always dynamic, energetic, and moving. Elusive wind, descending dove, falling fire, and, and, and flowing water. At his baptism, Jesus saw the Holy Spirit descend upon him like a dove. And then at the end of his ministry, in the upper room, in that upper room discourse, Jesus gave some instructions to his disciples teaching, to the, teaching uh, them about the Holy Spirit. And he had mentioned the Holy Spirit throughout his ministry as well and referenced him. Um, I, w- I won't take time to note some of those right now. But in that passage, in the upper room, Jesus gives insight into the role of the Holy Spirit. And that's our scripture this morning. I'm, I'm going to invite you to turn there with me. We're in John chapter 14. John chapter 14, beginning with verse 15. There are a few, there's actually quite a bit of teaching that Jesus does about the Holy Spirit in that upper room discourse. I'm just going to be speaking to a few of the verses here, starting with verse 15 through 21, and then verse 26. This is Jesus speaking. If you love me, you will obey what I command, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. And then skipping down to verse 26. But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Jesus says that he's going to give to, the follower, to his followers another counselor. In fact, he says, I'm going away. I'm not leaving you as orphans. The Father is going to send another counselor. And by the way, the Greek word for another there means someone just like him. Someone just like Jesus. Jesus is going to go away. The world, no one's going to see him anymore. But he's going to continue to come to them by his spirit. It says another counselor, and the newer version of the NIV uses the word advocate. And some translations also say helper and friend. The Greek word used here uh, when Jesus says he will send another counselor, another advocate, another helper, another friend. The Greek word is paraclete. Don't confuse it with parakeet. Um, that's my old standard joke. Um, and maybe that's why we're always trying to cage God or tame him. He's not a parakeet, he's the paraclete. It's a Greek word that comes from a Greek verb, parakaleo, which literally means to be called alongside. It's someone who has been called alongside us, to walk with us, to be with us. Think of a guide by your side, Um, a guide, a counselor, an advocate, a friend, a helper. It is God's presence by your side with you, helping you. It seems that the Spirit was given in the Old Testament times only to some for a particular time, for a particular purpose. But the promise, even in the Old Testament, was that 
the Spirit would be poured out on all people in the Messianic age. And ever since Pentecost, we are living in that age. You have the Holy Spirit. I hope that's not news to you. You have the Holy Spirit. He's with you, and most assuredly in you who trust in Jesus Christ. Jesus said that those who believe in him would have a spring of water welling up within them. And John indicated that that was a reference to the Holy Spirit, a fountain within, flowing and and overflowing. That's quite a promise when you consider how very dry our spiritual lives sometimes seem or appear. The question is whether you are aware or attuned to his presence. Don't miss this. And this is in the, looking at the text a little more deeply. Jesus says that the Spirit will be with you forever. And you will know him. That's interesting. You will know him. And he lives with you. And Jesus says, and he will be in you. This is the, this is the language of relationship, of, of connectedness, of, of intimacy. This is a God who is always initiating, always moving toward us with the goal of union or oneness. When you experience the Spirit, Jesus says that you will realize that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. When you experience that Spirit, you will know that you are in relationship with God. There's this union with the divine mystery, with the divine community. That happens with and through the Spirit. It is the Spirit who awakens us to relationship with God through Christ. In fact, the Spirit's job is partly to point us to Christ. Not, he, does not call, he does not call attention to Himself. He points us to Christ. The Holy Spirit helps us toward our chief aim, which is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. In verse 26, Jesus says, This counselor, advocate, helper, friend, whom the Father will send in Jesus' name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. I believe, when I look at my own life, I believe that the Holy Spirit has always been active and involved and involved in my life. But the time that I first became aware of His presence, I was overwhelmed in a good way mostly by a sense of being utterly and completely loved. And it was in that same period that God's Word came alive for me. I, mean, I can remember those days, how things that I had read before suddenly were leaping off the page, things that I probably had passed over before without even noticing suddenly were, were, were jumping off the page at me. It was like this book became electric. Why? Because the Holy Spirit was now opening my eyes to see, to hear, to understand, to grasp. Not everything, but things that I hadn't accepted or understood before. My heart was swelling with joy and a peace that I had never known and a sense of hope and anticipation for the future, my future, which was God's future. I can still say some 35 years later that I have not been disappointed The story just keeps unfolding. It has its highs and its lows, ups and downs, but overall I have hope and a sense of expectancy that God is at work both in me and around me. Jesus tells us that the Spirit is a teacher, a rabbi like Jesus. 
He continues to reveal things to us, insight, understanding, knowledge, and wisdom. He is called the spirit of truth here in this text. He is also the source of love. Wherever the spirit is, there will also be love. He would remind the disciples of the things that Jesus said and did. That's why we have the gospels today. How did, how did the disciples remember everything? All the things that Jesus said and did. In fact, John says at the end of his gospel, Jesus said even more and did even more than what's written here. But the things that God wanted recorded, the Spirit reminded the writers what to record. That's why we say that this book is God-breathed, Spirit-breathed. But this, this book is a living word. And the same Spirit who breathed it is still breathing life into it and into us through it. Without the Spirit to open our minds and our hearts, we will almost certainly get this wrong. We are reliant on the Spirit of truth, on the Lord of love to lead us and direct us. When I pick up this book to read it, I'm not trying to figure it out on my own. I'm not trying to, uh, I'm not reading it with my own lens or my own limited understanding. That was the mistake that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law in Jesus' day made. And they missed much truth. And they certainly missed mercy and compassion. But Jesus read it differently. And with an authority that was noted by people of the time, that's why we need the Holy Spirit to read this rightly. Otherwise, we run the risk of either rejecting this merely as the words of men or clinging to it in a way, in a kind of rigid, fundamental way. We need the Spirit to help us to read and understand and apply this with truth, with wisdom, and with love. We are heirs of the Protestant Reformation. We are people of the book, but we also need to be people of the Spirit who are willing to listen and let the Spirit guide them. And I'm not talking only about us as, as individuals, but collectively or corporately as well, the church. We must learn to be attuned to the Holy Spirit, something which I'm afraid the church has paid lip service to but doesn't really know how to do very well. It requires stillness, contemplation, listening, and above all, trusting. It's like learning to trust the presence and power of some divine force field that encircles and enfolds and equips us. I'm afraid not many of us know how to trust, listen, or hear his voice, and I'm going to include myself in that because I wasn't trained or equipped that way. I'm, I'm still learning to trust. Even when I asked you a few moments ago to be in prayer for the leadership and the staff of the church this coming weekend, that's not just a churchy thing I'm asking you to do or a religious thing I'm asking you to do. I'm trusting that somehow God is going to use you and your prayers and God's Spirit guiding you even in the ways that you pray to guide us as we pray and plan for the future. I'm trusting that God is going to be at work in all of that. It may, be, it may seem very apparent or it may not. But I'm trusting that God is going to be at work. And I know, I know that we are dependent on God's Spirit. 
that apart from him, we're going to get it wrong. Just as Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. And so I'm pleading with you as people who call this your, this your, your church home, you want your leaders and the staff of this church to be anointed by God's Spirit. You want that. You don't want the alternative. You want us to be Spirit-filled. You want that every week when we're leading worship, when we're preaching, when we're teaching here in our children's ministries. You want the ministry of this church to be Spirit-anointed. We need to be praying for that. You know, when Jesus... When Jesus taught his disciples to pray and gave them the Lord's Prayer, at the end of that whole section, this is in Luke 11, I think, at the end of that section, Jesus says, how much more will your Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Of all the things that we can be praying for, of all the things that we need to be praying for, Jesus said, be praying for the Holy Spirit. So, as I said, in my growing up, there was no real understanding or expectation that the Spirit was going to do anything. In fact, I mentioned that pretty much every metaphor of the Holy Spirit is dynamic and energetic and moving, with one exception. It's the one that we focused on when I was growing up, that the Holy Spirit is given to you as a deposit guaranteeing your inheritance. It comes out of one of the epistles. Sort of like this static thing. Oh, stamped. No expectation that he's going to do anything, but he's there to bring you to faith, to keep you in faith. But nothing about this energetic moving, this dynamic, this, this movement, if you will, this elusive wind, descending dove, falling fire, flowing water. Think about the implications of this dynamic, energetic moving force within. If our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit, the temple of God, you're talking about incarnation. God, the Holy Spirit, dwelling in me, dwelling in you as a witness to the world, as light to the nations, as an agent of hope and healing to our community, as people made in the divine image and indwelt with the, with, by the divine, we are all unique and unrepeatable incarnations of God. As I said at the outset, if you know this, if you believe this, how can life remain the same? If we are attuned and responsive to what God's Spirit is doing in us and around us, it will mean becoming more Christ-like in character. With all the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. It will mean spiritual gifts that strengthen and build up the, the church and creative energy and passion for the priorities of Christ in the world. Spirit-led people never stop growing and changing and recognizing new moments of opportunity. The Spirit is always dynamic, energetic, and moving. So how strange that so much of religion has become about worship of the status quo. Stability is the enemy of vitality. We must resist our dependence or desire for comfortable religion. God is the great comforter, but he's not about making people comfortable. When we're supposed to change?
Why do we say that God never changes? Thanks, Marie. Uh, yeah, you're throwing me. Um, yeah, his character doesn't change. Thank you, Dan. Um, I, I guess I don't want to debate whether God changes or not, but we are, we are always in, in process of changing God's desire for us. That's the Holy Spirit's role. Scientific. Thanks, Marie. How much time, time is it? How much time do we have? So, um, maybe for clarification, um, when you came to faith in Christ, the moment you came to faith, it may have been a long process in you coming to faith, okay? When you came to faith in Christ, it was instantaneous. It may have been a long process. There may have been years of, of searching and seeking and grandmothers praying for you and parents trying to share faith with you. But the moment that you trusted Christ as your Savior, you were saved, you were justified, you were redeemed. Everything that Christ did on the cross is now yours. Does that make sense? Complete. You are complete in Christ. Does, does that make sense? Like, from God's perspective, you're complete. Okay. But from the Holy Spirit's vantage point, not yet. It's, that's the work of, so the, the, what Christ accomplished and what faith does for you is, is justification. The work of the Holy Spirit is called sanctification. And that's a process. That is a lifelong process of change. I don't know about God changing, but we're the ones who need to change. Okay? To become like God in His character. More loving. More wise. More patient more kind, more passionate, more just. Not human justice, God's justice. More holy, set apart. So that's, that's the Spirit's role in our lives, to, to um, take us from where we are. God loves us wherever we are. But to take us where we are, to become the people that God made us to be. Does that make sense? So, and and, and so when, we, when we resist what the Spirit's trying to do in our lives. That transformation, that change, that sometimes comes with conviction and sometimes comes with insight and understanding. When we resist that or, or push against that, which we all do, that's grieving the Holy Spirit. You're making His job hard, which is not to your advantage and certainly not to the world's advantage. The world needs us to be little Christ. And that's the Spirit's job. The world needs us to be little Christ. The world needs us to have an overflowing fountain of love within. The world needs us to be people who uh, don't just, uh, how do I say this? Who aren't just rigid and fundamental, but who are wise and astute about how to love and how to apply God's Word in our times. Okay? Without the Holy Spirit, we, we will mess everything up, okay? We need to learn to lean into and trust the Holy Spirit. Yeah. I'm going to end with this. I'm going to talk to you afterwards, Marie. 
No. Uh, you know what? This, this summer, I think we're going to do the, the, uh, those questions again for the sermon topic. So, uh, does God change? There it is. Maybe I'll address that one. No, it's a good question. It's a good question. Um, so here's the deal. I'm going to say this. Uh, you've heard me say this umpteen times, so I'm afraid this falls on deaf ears. Don't let it fall on deaf ears today. We are in a time of change and upheaval in the world, in culture, in society, and in the church. The church is in transition. And if we are to navigate this well for our own sake, for the sake of our children and our grandchildren, for whatever the church is supposed to look like on the other side of the... I'm not a, this is a good transition. Something needs to die. Something in the church needs to die. This is the way the kingdom of God works. Death and resurrection. It's not working. Church right now is not working. In our culture, in our society, something needs to die in order to be reborn. And whatever that rebirth, whatever that transition, whatever the church is going to look like on the other side of this, it's probably going to be after my lifetime. It might be after yours. I don't know how long this transition is going to take. But when we're through this, whatever the church looks like on the other side, we better be listening now to the Holy Spirit, guiding us, directing us, informing us, helping us to get this right. And we won't get it all right, and God will still be at work in that too, because he always has been. The church hasn't gotten it right for 2,000 years, but here we are, okay? And, and there have been times when the church relied on the Holy Spirit and times when they just went their own way. Anytime we start relying on our own wisdom, our own understanding, our own strength and power, we are not going to get it right. So... Let's be intentional about moving forward and much more intentional about listening to, leaning in, and trusting the Holy Spirit and learning how to hear His voice. Learning how to hear His voice. That's a whole other topic. Let's pray. God, we come before you today and thank you that you have not left us alone. You sent a Savior into the world to save us and to show us a better way. And God, you send the Holy Spirit to be our helper, an advocate, a counselor. God, forgive us for the ways we have ignored his help and his counsel and his uh, direction. God, help us to lean in. Help us to learn, God, to hear your voice. We pray for the church, we pray for ourselves, God, that we would be spirit-filled and spirit-led. God, let those not just be words, but let it be a reality. We acknowledge, God, our need and our dependence on you. Holy Spirit, be poured out anew on us, afresh on us. Make us alive, awaken us to you, God, to the splendor of worshiping you, God, to the wisdom of your word, and to the power of your love. Come, Holy Spirit, God and Lord, be all your graces now outpoured. In Jesus' name and for his sake, amen. Please stand.